Hi, I'm Mary Kennedy, and you're listening to Menopod. Hey, Mary Kennedy, I'm Sue Merlina. We have an incredible guest in studio with us today, Georgia Van Kuhlenberg, everybody. Georgia Van Kuhlenberg. She is a actress, host, producer, activist. She gives back to the community here in Los Angeles. I'm so glad that she's here, and uh, she has a podcast on uh, the network, Laugh Factory Network, which I'm really excite- excited about, called the Nerd World Podcast. Everybody put your hands together for Georgia. Woo-hoo! Welcome, Georgia. Hi, it's so nice to be with both of you and everybody else out there. I'm so glad you're here today. So it's interesting. I did Georgia's podcast yeah. uh, talking about being a roadie for my mother's band, The Mood Swings, and uh, a bunch of other stuff. And then we started talking about kind of what we're going through as women. And I said, oh my gosh, you need to be on Menopod. And here she is. So so I wanted to sort of talk to everybody today, check in, see where we're at. Um, But I feel like I think we're all, no matter what age we are in this world of uh, perimenopause, menopause, we're all going through stuff. And um, I'm just so glad you're here, Georgia. So First off, what made you um, sort of start talking about the sort of the hormones and things like that, Georgia? Well, to be honest, um, I I really hadn't been given that permission as far as I saw the world around me. Like it until probably a year ago, the message to me was that's something you just don't talk about. Like that's a no on that one. Um, And I talk about everything. Like I've, as a sexual abuse survivor, I am, I've got alopecia. So my hair comes and goes. I was anorexic for years. Like none of this is off the table. Like this is here, clear in the media, but girly stuff like that. No, like that's (laughs) one thing. And I don't know why in my head I was like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. When the rest of my life is like, here's me, take it or leave it. And then honestly, like just before I met you, Mary, I was starting to go, well, this is silly. It seems like everybody else is feeling the same. Why, why is it a secret if it's not a secret? And then it was so freeing to meet you and to just sort of have that conversation. Like when I shared some of the stuff I did with you, I li- I was like giggling inside because I'm like, oh my God, I'm saying words that are girly words and I'm so okay. She's not like looking at me like, oh. How dare you? So weird. Like society would put women who are going through the change, right? That's what we would call it when like, and no one really knew like when my grandmother or or my aunt were like isolated into the other room because nobody wanted to deal with them because they were going through the change. It was never discussed. It was never like, hey, your hormones are going to start to like mess you up and you're going to have a list of issues that, you know. Good luck figuring out because nobody else wants to talk about it. And it's out of our control, completely things out of our control. So what are we supposed to do about it? And we put shame on it, even though, like you said, so it's out of our control. We can't help it, but there's so much shame. And like my mom, until I started going through this and Mary, you and I had spoken and I called my mom, I was like, what did, what was your experience like? Cause that's going to give me an indication of maybe what I'm going to go through. And I realized she never once, I didn't know my mom went through menopause. Like as far as I know, my mom did it. Right. <laughs> and what did she say when you, when you called her? Did well, she, she have issues? She said, Oh, you know, it was, um, 
it was a bit tricky and I'm very hot at times. And like, she didn't really want to go in. It wasn't that she was being evasive. She just was like, yeah, you know, it, it sucks. It's what it is. And I'm like, no, I don't, I don't like that. It is what it is. Is my least favorite saying. In the world. I know. I like, no, it is what it, you decide it is. But, but here's the thing. When your mother said, because Sue and I just talked about the fact that like we didn't get any real guidance from our mothers because, well, my grandmother wouldn't talk about it. So then my mother didn't talk about it. Did, at that moment, when you talked to your mom, did you feel alone? Like you didn't have understanding? Yeah. I mean, we have a great relationship, but it wasn't like I left there or kumbaya at all. I like left the conversation going, okay, well, now I'm feeling weirder that I'm wanting to talk about it and wanting to say this effing sucks. Like, to feel all these things. And it's, you know, it is a lonely feeling like Mary, you and I are new friends. The fact that I had to be like, I know I'll call Mary instead of my mom. Like we'd met <laughs> once and you're the person I called for support. Well, I'm honored. Well, no, because I think we've taken the lid off of this. And that's why Sue and I started Midlife Mood Swing on Facebook because I, and I think I told you this on your podcast, I had a friend who went through major surgery on her lady parts and didn't talk to anybody about it until she came out of it. And I was like, why didn't you talk to us? And it was a really scary moment for her. And she's like, because I had shame around it and I didn't want to talk about it and I didn't know how to talk about it. And I think what Sue and I have been able to do is to get women to get the language so they know how to talk about it. And here's the thing. I'm looking at your bio and you're, you're a talker, Betty Crocker. Like, you know, you do VO, you know, you're, you're an actress, a host, a producer. Um, you, uh, you voiced Herba D. Vanille. I hope I pronounced that right. A correct at Final Fantasy. I mean, you are a talker. Plus you do your own podcast. So you're talking about everything except this. So I think. I think the reason why is I don't know if we had the language. And to be honest, like, I'm still discovering, for lack of a better term, and Sue, I know you're going to be like, really? I'm still discovering my vagina. Like, still, at almost 50, I'm still, you know, I'm trying to become friends with my vagina. Like, I'm trying to have a dialogue. And you know what I mean? Like, and and I don't think we were ever given that right. I mean, early on, even getting our period. Like, I got my period in gym. And it was a huge hush hush thing. And I had to put my sweater around my waist because I leaked and I wanted to go home and no one would let me go home. And it was like, I felt like I had the scarlet letter, you know, it's like. So the shame started really early, you know, I found all of that. And nowadays, like I, I raised two boys that built in their late twenties, but we talk about this stuff all the time because I want them to be aware and to know and not to be afraid or like they help if like. If they saw a girl that was in an issue like that, that was leaked, they would like take their sweatshirt off and help them. And, you know, they, they do things like that because I want them to be aware and to know that it's, it's all part of being human, you know, and taking care of each other. No, I mean, my first period was a trauma. Like that was trauma inducing for me. Oh yeah. I was nine years old. It's my brother's birthday. It was like one of the first swims of summer and we had a salt pool and I decided because I couldn't go to my mom. Same, like I didn't know how to ask her and she was busy. I remember she was so stressed with the birthday party that I was like, I can't bother mom. And I decided a tampon was the good right 
first choice. Wow. So I tried to do that and I cut myself down there because I was trying so hard to like work out how to make it. And then I had to pretend I wasn't in pain and I got in the pool and the salt was like stinging. Oh. I was, it was stinging so bad. So I, oh yeah. Talk about shame and trauma and first time. Like it starts from the very beginning. And you're nine. That's really young. Yeah. I, I was there. I was a very big booby girl from very, I was this height at 12. So, which is five foot three. Um, I realized probably can't, one, it's audio and two, we're sitting down. Um, But yeah, I mean, I had, I was Mount Kosciuszko. So Mount Kosciuszko is the biggest uh, mountain range in Australia. And there was another girl in my class who was Mount Everest and I was Mount Kosciuszko. And this was the sort of grading that the boys gave us. And it was always very interesting to them because we were so developed, but not interesting to me. I wow. had my so first you probably starting. You probably started perimenopause earlier than like in your thirties. Well, so I am actually only I'm 34 now, oh, okay. so yeah. I don't know what I'm. It turns out, Mary. So when Mary and I connected and talked, I was getting recommendations from her because I've been getting all sorts of hot flushes and all sorts of stupid stuff, and my weight literally goes up and down every day depending on it, you know, and the mood and all of that sort of stuff. But according to the doctors that I've seen, I'm not perimenopausal. I still have all the makings inside of me to be able to have babies like I'm in my 20s, which was good and bad all in one. Um, so it's weird. Now, Ned, the doctor's like, I, I don't know. They Why? don't know. The whole thing is with this that we've discovered through all of this is checking your hormone level. And hormones level, as you just said, change every single day. So if they're taking your blood on a Monday, your hormone levels might just be normal and they might yeah. be normal on Tuesday, but on Wednesday they could drop and then you feel menopause. So it's just a, it's just a change in your hormone levels. And that's, that's what perimenopausal is. It's just like your body's starting to change and your body always wants everything to be even all the time. So it's just compensating back and forth and back and forth. So. Cause I had my first kid at 34. Oh Yeah. And- I got, um, I had my daughter at 34 and then I got pregnant again when she was 11 months. And then they put me into, they call it geriatric, <laughs> uh, uh, pregnancy because, oh then my gosh. you know, I was, um, at that point I was a, um, older mom when I was, when I gave birth to my son at 35. And then a week later I turned 36. So in my head, it was only like, you know, 19 months, but in the health community, like everything changed. And then, you know, my doctor was like, well, you know, after I gave birth, she's like, well, yeah, now you're kind of in perimenopause. So what's amazing to me and to put my head around all this is that I can be pregnant, have two kids back to back. And then, you know, at 38, 39, I'm considered perimenopause. It's Uh just it's just a crazy, you know, it's just crazy. And it's well, like, it's a term and it's a range. You yeah. Know, yeah. It's, yeah. The gynecologist I went to who I ended up seeing, he said that 70% of the women that come into him for like pregnancy and that sort of thing are in their forties to fifties. He said 70% of the women that are having their first child are in forties to fifties now. That's it. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. 
That's amazing. So do you, and again, you don't have to answer this, but do you think you want to have kids? Well, call me old fashioned, but I'm definitely waiting for the person to do that with. I'm in a relationship, so I hope if we're if you, it's very, very new. So I don't want to scare him too much, although I think he's more keen on it than I am. Um, but I, I mean, I've always said I would, I mean, I work with children, like children are my everything. They're my reason for being because of the sexual abuse that I suffered as a child at two and a half. I knew my job was to make children happy and yeah. to save them from bad things. So children and having children in my world has always been huge. But what's been interesting is I really had to go on my own journey of healing, healing that pain, healing a lot of stuff that happened with my the way my parents parented me that was just so not appropriate for how I was as a child, even though they're amazing people. I've been able to heal that and now I would be ready. I don't think I could have had, especially a girl, until very recently. If I had still had the pain and trauma and had a daughter, there's no way I could have stopped myself from transferring something. And so now I think my whole body and my mind is like, okay, now you could. You would do it better. You know, you would do a clear, everybody has their troubles, but I would do a starting at zero job as opposed to starting at minus 50. So um, I'm, I'm open to it, but because I have children around the world that are mine in so many ways, I don't mind if I don't. And I'd be totally fine adopting because I think there's a lot of children out there that need a wonderful home, you know, that that, that per, their mother and father can't offer that for them because of their own pain. So wow. I'm open. Yeah. And I and, and what you're talking about, you're so you're so uh <laughs> you're not bragging, is that she uh she has a social justice organization called Arts Bridging the Gap that brings creative art experiences to children across Los Angeles in order to provide resources, access, and trauma-informed healing to those youth who are often forgotten. And what an amazing, amazing, amazing organization. And I think, I think you're right. I think, you know, working through your trauma, I totally get it. I'm a a sex and uh, physical abuse survivor. I think I couldn't have been a parent until I got, did a lot of work on that part of my life. And I think in a weird way, by doing all that work has gotten me to have a better life as I get older. Because the truth is, guys, some of this menopause and this hormonal fluctuation and the depression is actually worse on people that have not done the work uh, to to deal with their trauma. Um, it, it can be traumatic. And then, um, so I'm so glad you did that work. Now, let me ask you a question because I want to talk about the alopecia. Did the alopecia come up um, recently or is this something you've struggled with, you know, your entire life? It's interesting. I kind of want to comment as well on something you said about it being harder, but I'll answer your question and maybe I'll jump back in there. But um, so I got alopecia first when I was like 18, 19. Um, I just moved here. I didn't have any doctors or anything. And I'd had little spots before I was a hair model. And I, I see shoot videos from shoots where there was little spots and things like that. But when I moved here, all part of, so I got terrible uh, stomach issues, which is a FODMAP malabsorption, which I think plays horribly into the hormones and everything. Um, But my hair also fell out. So it was like, I'd put on 20 pounds for no reason. 
I, all my hair fell out. I was always hot and uncomfortable and bloated. And there was also, and doctors, and same thing, the doctor here was like, there's nothing wrong with you. And I was like, oh, right. actually, there's a few good signs that there isn't. But um, I got out, I did have alopecia. That was the easy thing to diagnose amongst all of it. Though I still, to this day, I'm not sure that's the truest. I really do believe that all of this is connected because, so this is all my hair. And although there's spots and there's bits missing, I I really do think like when I have a really bad hot flush period, my head hair hurts mm-hmm. and it actually like stings at the follicle. And I just, I'm always curious, like my eyebrows, my eyelashes are coming back right now on the bottom. And I'm like, okay, is that good? Like, it's all, and because it's an overactive immune disorder, it actually means that if I, you know, people are like, oh, is it because of stress? It's the opposite. That if I was more stressed, didn't eat well, all that sort of stuff, my hair is more likely to come back because my immune system would be weakened. Mm-hmm. So all of that to also address what you were saying about like doing the work and making it easier is having this, having been through what I've been through and doing the work. I think the most important thing we have to do is depersonalize the whole thing a lot. Like we can't take it on as like, it's my fault that my hair's falling out. It's my fault that I have hot flashes. It's my fault that I'm moody. It's my fault. Like that's where the work is, I think, is the taking yourself out and realizing this is not personal. This is a thing that's happening to me. It's not because of who I am or because of any choices I've made. And until we do that work in life and taking out self out of it, it's just a road of misery. Yeah, Yeah, I totally agree with that. I had an experience where I had to remove myself and chalk on like create in my head that I was a different person. Like I'm speaking up on behalf of whatever this is, you know, this, this body. So once I was able to do that, because I, I don't know if it's just human nature, but I can speak up for anybody that needs help, but for myself, it's harder. So when I actually did, it's just interesting that you mentioned that, like, all right, I'm going to speak about myself in third person. And then it was like a disconnect, remove myself from the illness body and just be like, hey, we need this. We need this. We need this. And it was just so much easier. So I I really appreciate you saying that, that like totally like, oh, my God, I just had to do that. Otherwise, I was like, yeah, yeah. What is wrong with us? Seriously, that we... Like literally, just like you said, Sue, and like Mary, you are hardly a shrinking violet. Like I know that in the past you've probably stood up for other women that were being treated poorly. Oh, sure. Right. And then when it comes to us, we're like, oh, I don't want to be a pain. Right. Yeah. I don't want to be a whinger. Like, well, we don't like that in other people, right? We don't, when we see other people doing that, we're like, oh my God, get a grip. Right. So we don't like that with transference, right? We're like, so. So it comes out in us when we're trying to actually activate that. So we need to just pull up the big, big girl pants. Yeah, and- the pen. <laughs> well, and- yeah, no. And I think your work with children and I work with kids too. I teach, you know, I teach acting and, and all that stuff. I think, I think for me, I'm a voice for the voiceless. Um, I think being a trauma survivor, you know, you end up realizing that you got through it that you can be a light for other people. Um, but I have to say, and, and, and I want to bring this up, I think, and this isn't a pity party, I think the fact that I am a trauma survivor has put a lot on, my, on this body of mine. Mm. I think 
I think what I'm going through now is sort of the the collateral damage of not speaking up for myself and not being being an advocate for me. So now my body is going, you know what, you've been racing around and doing for everyone else and also doing for myself. By the nature that we're all in this entertainment business, we have stood up for ourselves and our art. But I think now, because I'm not, as Sue and I talked about in another podcast, I'm not feeling my best most of the time. I have to sit there and really dig. And I had my doctors do a full panel. You know, I, I, I made a joke before in another bed, I guess. I have a fatty liver now to, to, to match my fat vagina. So, you know, it's, it's all good. I mean, but what I'm trying to say is that not since I turned about, I would say 45, have I really started to advocate for myself and other women? Because I don't think we should sit in the silence anymore. And isn't it interesting? And you brought this up, George, and I want you to address this too, and Sue too. Isn't it interesting that it's okay for for now us to talk about being trauma survivors, that that's more comfortable than talking about hot flashes or, you know, that it's hard to have sex. It's, you know what I mean? Yeah. Why is, is that? Because that was something in our past and it's something that happened clearly to us. And so we can play the victim better than we can own situations that are happening in the moment that are uncomfortable for people because I think I mean I have a theory that it's harder especially to talk to men or people that play a masculine role in our life because they want to fix it right and when you talk about your girly parts they're like oh girl nothing I can't do anything <laughs> with that right. I can't so think her, you yeah. know they'll make a joke they'll be like well I know how to make it feel better you know like about first to do that, but maybe, maybe we just intrinsically know we're going to make this man feel uncomfortable or these people uncomfortable because they can't fix this. If you tell someone you're a trauma survivor, they can say, I'm so sorry. Like, do you want to talk about, you know, I don't know. That's just a, but yeah, maybe knowing that and saying it up front, I don't need you to fix me. I'm working on fixing myself. But these are the things that I'm going through right now. And I'm looking for help to make myself feel better, you know, just be open with it. And that's that's kind of the message I try to get out. But I think you're right, Mary, we do manifest things eventually, the more there's like you could be working in your garden and your neighbors working in the garden. And the next day you feel the pain here and they feel the pain here. So you're manifesting the pain based on your whole body experience. And maybe you're feeling pain here is because you're burdened all the time. And maybe they're feeling pain here because they're overreaching all the time. So I really believe that our bodies manifest the pain, the fatty liver, the different things like that, because that's what you're focused on. There's a reason that that's happening. You, your body has to put your pain somewhere. Your body has to put the sadness. And if you're not talking about it, if you're not letting it out, it has to go somewhere. Somewhere. I mean, I'm a massive like fan is the wrong word, but I'm just a great, huge proponent of Steve Porges's work around the polyvagal theory, uh-huh. what happens in our stomach around the fright or flight and my stomach. I mean, that's where it all goes for me. Too. Like, yeah. I, I've got terrible stomach issues, as I mentioned before. And with men, if I'm uncomfortable with a man, like I've literally, there was a guy in my life a couple of years ago who was trying to push me to be with him. He was like, you know, I think there's, a, and I said, I don't know how else is it. you give me diarrhea. Okay. <laughs> 
He was like, wow, I've never had a woman tell me that before. I was like, you make, it's just, my stomach doesn't want you. Like right. it. Feel I, what your body's saying to you, right? It's like muscle testing too. I don't know if you've ever done that, but if you're holding an item that you think you need, your body will tell you, you'll get a feeling for that. And you can do that with people and energy. Yeah. And you know? and then there's so many of these illnesses that we have that it makes me so mad. I could go on forever about when people say it's in your mind, it's in your, you know, it's in your mind. The point is the brain is in your body. Like this Awkward. is not a bad thing. Like, yes, there's this like a issue that we're dealing with on a neural level that is upsetting us. That doesn't mean that it's bad that we're then getting symptoms of like stomach issues or chronic pain. It means that your brain and body are working together. And so many people make it be like, oh, it's just in your head. It's just in your head. It's just like, well, yeah, it started there, but now it's in my butt. So, right. <laughs> well, well, that's, that's true. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, it's, it's, I have a team of four doctors, right? Who nobody is, you know, listen, I mean, the good news, everybody is I'm not, well, we all are dying, but I'm not dying of something. And it's just so interesting that like, I've got a team of four doctors and we're on so many different paths. Like, I feel like I'm in a Scooby-Doo mystery. Like we're on so many different paths. And it's like, I think what the major part of this is, and I don't want to put it necessarily under the umbrella of menopause, but I feel like a lot of this is menopause. And we as women are starting to talk about it, but still the medical community has no idea how to deal with, with women on health hormones they just don't understand the whole well even health wise i mean it's it's it seems ridiculous that you know there was a thing um where they were saying we didn't need to get a mammogram till after 45 and this was the insurance company saying that you know what if you don't have a family history of it and you don't need to get your first mammogram till 45 what they were finding is women who were waiting till after 45 to get their first mammogram we're having breast cancer even without a family history. So why why are women in this community considered sort of the last the last sort of thought when we make up such a big portion of our population? You know, I just it's amazing to me. And then the fact that maybe what ends up happening is we as women and we're stopping it right here are sitting here going, well, I really shouldn't talk about it because I you know, they don't want to hear from me anyway. I think that might be the message that we get from a very young age. I mean, your your period story is a yeah. perfect example of that, you know? What response? Because obviously, I don't know. Obviously, Mary, you're a comedian, so I don't know if you are, but... She was too, yeah. She was. Oh, awesome. So sorry. So as comedians, for both of you, have you found that humor helps? Is that something that helps people under like palliative, so to speak. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 It helped, yeah. Of course. I think it's a way to get out there, poke fun of it, but then you plant in a little seed and later they'll be like, Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. The, the information stays. Yeah. 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 But, I mean, I think the platform of comedy is one way to open the door a little bit, but it's not really, you know, it's, it's, it's one tiny little way to do it. But I think that more people need to talk about it. Like Oprah doesn't talk about this really. Right. True. Yeah. Oprah, Which, what's up? yeah. Come on, Oprah. 
or yeah, Ellen or any of the talk shows. I mean, the commercials will talk about it, but yeah, they're not, they don't have an open platform on the doctors, on the view, on, you know, all these places where it's even the red table, you know, they're, they're not talking about these things, which I don't know. Like, yeah, that's a very sad, sad state of affairs. I was remembering Mary when um, we were talking and I hit on an analogy that I have been telling every man that I meet now because I'm not willing to not talk about it anymore. So if someone says, how's your day going? I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'm all sweaty and gross hormones. Stuff. Like that's my answer. And guys go, oh, gosh. And I'm like, and the new thing for me is hormones and periods for you guys would be like if you lost your hair every month and it came back for a week and it felt great and you were feeling really good about yourself and you looked so handsome. And then the next three weeks was like losing it, losing it, losing it, losing it. Because that's to me. And he was like, oh my God, that'd be horrible. It's like, there you go. Done. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and I did too. And menopause, you guys, and I, and I did this joke in New York and the menopause is like, I said, it's like the series of Little House in the Prairie. It keeps going on and on because they're in syndication. Keeps going on and on and on and on. And we have no idea where Alonzo is. Like that, <laughs> it's like, it just keeps going on. And it's like this long, long series. Like at least when you had my period, like I knew, okay, it's going to be over in a week, you know, and then I can get back to business. This menopause, like I feel like, uh, my friends have said, I feel like I'm on the verge of getting my period every single day for in, in inter- for eternity. <laughs> no, well, for- I, I found out recently, like, you could be in this for 10 years. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I don't want to feel like this for 10 years. Well, but I don't think there's been enough research. I think, you know, I think. You know, I mean, as we talked about before, I think people put it under the umbrella as the change. But, you know, speaking of the change, we're making a change by talking about it. And I'm so proud of you, Georgia, because, you know, you're talking about it now. And if you can get people in your peer group to start talking about it now and then look to us to be your beacon of knowledge. And again, you should always consult with your doctor. Of course, we're not or medical. get a, like not just medical doctors, though. Like I was talking yeah. before, there's like nutritionists, there's naturopaths, there's yep. Ayurvedic practitioners, there's um, Eastern and Western medicine. There's doctors and there's one in Studio City that I've been speaking with. She treats the whole body. You know, it's not just yeah. like symptoms. And she's fantastic. She's a little pricey, but there are people out there that can be part of your team that can help you figure things out. And I think there's different websites that we, you know, listed before that are really helpful in getting, helping you get to the bottom of it and feel a community. So I think that's really important. That's the magic of the team and community. I mean, and you said it too, Mary, that loneliness, like that's almost the hardest part. The feeling like you're going a little bit nutty and you're alone and you're like, is it just me? One, talking to your friends and knowing that others are going through it. Like just after we spoke, Mary, I spoke to two other women when I was trying to get referrals and like they're examples of like how their libidos couldn't be more different. And like they were just sharing stuff. But I felt less alone and that I was like, oh, so everyone around me is also doing this. But then to have a team of medical professionals and not think that that's strange. It's like that's their job. 
that they are they paid up for that. Yeah. yeah. And yet we feel like we're being a burden. We're paying them and it's their job. And yet we feel like we're being a burden where we try and enlist them into supporting us. Right. Yeah. That's a bad feeling. So get over that. Don't have yeah. that feeling. Yeah. No, we're, yeah, we're paying them in here. Listen, in here in LA, you know, we're paying lots of money. Yes. <laughs> I, you know what I mean? But what I was also going to say, so, so with this new sort of epiphany, Georgia, do you feel like your work, you know, on the podcast, your work with the kids, you know, all of the work that you're doing in, in the entertainment world, do you feel like you're in a weird way more present that, that now that you've sort of lifted the lid on this? hundred percent. hundred percent, Mary. Thank you for asking. I mean, I'm always doing work in different, so I'm doing a lot of work right now around shadows and doing a lot of stuff. I do EMDR therapy to help me with like unlocking all the sort of triggers that have come up. So in tandem with that, in concert with that, this hormone releasing of like, because I have so much hang up in my body because of sexual abuse. Like we just, we hold that trauma in our body. And until you release that, this body has always felt like it's not mine. That's just the reality. When you talk about not knowing your vagina, like, I don't, I don't know it at all. I don't even know if it has a name. Like, I don't know how to talk to it because it's separate from me. I had disassociation for years because of the trauma. So I'm just getting to like, literally, I don't see my body, right? Like, I know it's there because of my anorexia. I've still got body dysmorphia. It's just like so complex. But now that I'm talking about this and realizing that other women have these issues, they've suddenly got thighs where they didn't have thighs before and, you know, like things like that, I am totally more open with my work with kids, with my acting, because I'm not so conscious of what my body feels like on camera. I can just actually do my job. There's so many places where it comes up and just realizing, and we were talking about this before we went on. That like when I walk into a room to do a job or to work with kids, I'm not the most important thing, right? Like, I think we all are so worried what everybody else is thinking about us, what everybody else is like, are they noticing my thighs? Can they see that I'm a bit sweaty? Can they see that I'm bloated today? Of course not, because they're sweaty and they're bloated and they've got a sore foot and they've got a mom that said something last night. Like everybody's issues are so much more important to them than you. That it's so funny that we walk into rooms worrying what everybody else is going to think when the minute we leave that room, we're out of their head. Right. And so that's really that realization and knowing that my issues are just as big, if not smaller than somebody else's is so freeing because then I can just focus on being compassionate to them. Like that's what's become my greatest joy is to walk into a room and see a whole lot of people that have probably got more shit going on in their brains. Sorry if I swore and I don't know if I can. Um, yep. thank you. Um, going on and worries that are bigger because probably they haven't paid for as much therapy as I have. Right. So their issues are probably far more stressful to them than me. And therefore it's my job to offer them compassion, to offer them grace, to be that in the room, to allow them to express it to me if, because then I can express it first and it gives them an invitation to talk about their stuff. And making it about other people has just freed me up to be like, oh, well, I got thighs today. So do they. Right. No, no, I do. And Sue, did Hi. you have you did you read the quote yet? Because I thought that was really great. So no one really cares. And this is on uh, George's 
girlfromdownunder.com website. When you realize how little people actually care about the choices you make, you can make all the choices you ever wanted for you. So important. Thank you so much for saying all that. No, absolutely. I mean, it's so sad. How sad that we would leave this world having made a whole lot of choices to fit in. Like what a waste of time. Yeah. That's just my worry about it. Yeah. You put a job to do, make those choices. But yeah, no. And I think, and I think we're creating a community and I'm glad, you know, that I met you through, you know, the nerd podcast, you know, and you're, and you're using that as a platform as well and everything else you're doing. So I think, you know, we can, you know, I really feel like my work in what we're doing with midlife mood swing is coming across to my daughter, which has been amazing. Um, You know, like she's, she gets to talk about her period. Like she hates it. And, you know, I, I have to work hard not to be like, well, it's just, you know, part of being a woman. Like I have to really talk to her and go, you know what? It sucks. And I'm sorry you have to go through this. And I went through it too. And, you know, I, I, you know, what can we do to make it more bearable, you know? And, you know, I think that's the thing. What can we do to make this journey sort of a, for a conversation versus us, you know, stuffing it? Because I can tell you from personal experience, stuffing everything, either with food or emotions or whatever, in the long run is going to be detrimental to your health and well-being. So I think I think that we're all talking. I think it's great. I'm so glad you're here, Georgia. Is there anything that you want to plug um, while we have you on? Sorry, we were talking about tampons and vaginas. That just been, you know, <laughs> I was like, no, it's not. I've got yeah. a couple of weeks. We're good. Plug um, <laughs> entertainment wise, not. <laughs> this is like honestly, once I do open my mouth, it's a lot. Like if we're talking about this, house promote. Is there anything you want to promote? Um, I think definitely the podcast. So, Laugh Factory Nerd World. It is an important thing to me because there's so many people that were bullied or thought that they were weird or strange growing up. And now there's so many wonderfully successful people like yourself, Mary, who can talk about and Sue as well, who, you know, identified as a nerd, but look at you now kind of stuff. So that's really great. And then just Instagram, Georgia Vancey, reach out. Arts Bridging the Gap. Um, My organizations in Uganda deal a lot with women's issues and Ethiopia as well. And in India, we're trying to destigmatize all of this stuff, which is so hard to do, especially in India, of all places. Yeah. Um, we kind of, you know, we're just allowing divorce for the first time ever. What a thought. Um, so I'd be please just reach out if you've got any. I talked about a lot of random stuff. So if people have history of stuff where they want support, I'm always here. My DM is available. Yeah. Thank you. That's fantastic. Thank you. I'll definitely be reaching out. I'll talk to you about India and my experience there too. Um, I love that. Yeah. Love to, yeah. And if you ever there. need our help, Georgia, uh, you know, de, uh, destigmatizing things, we're happy to talk about it too. Because oh. I think, you know, there's power in numbers as well. So thank you so much for being on Metapod, Georgia Van Hulenberg, amazing actress, activist, podcaster friend um and uh we'll see you soon guys i'm mary kennedy and i'm sue merlino <laughs> <laughs>